0: Well, good morning. Um, my name is Dad. I'm the lead pastor here, as you can tell uh, by my button. Uh, we're thrilled that you're with us today, especially if you're here for the first time. We're really, really, really glad you're here. Um, so today is Father's Day, and I, one of the things um, that these days always remind us of is the reality that, that life is full of tension. And so for lots of people, this is an exciting day, and they're going to fire up the barbecue and have a big day. For other people, this day brings up all sorts of emotions and feelings around grief and loss and sadness. And as a community, we just want to sit and hold both of those at the same time and and make space for wherever you are and however you feel. I do want to say also that if you're here and you bring the paternal energy into the world in a way that is tender and not toxic, in a way that is compassionate, kind, just, and generous, uh, and not fearful and desiring to grab on and hold on to power and use it over people, we are so grateful for you. We are grateful for what you do in the world and for the way you um, reveal part of what the word God means and what that love looks like, just as um, we celebrated the feminine energy, uh, maternal energy on Mother's Day. So we're thrilled you're with us. Um, today I want to sort of piggyback a little bit off of last week. We talked about the day of Pentecost last week, which was part of the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar. And I want to do just a real brief overview of what the liturgical calendar looks like, because I know, um, there were some of you and I said, how many of you, let's just do it again, right? For fun. How many of you grew up observing the liturgical Christian calendar? Anybody? Okay. A few more of you than last week. So you heard this was a safe place for you and you're here. Um, uh, Uh, I didn't grow up with that, but I have found it to be really, really meaningful uh, as a way of of organizing my uh, life around the church year. So I want to begin with um, the first thing that happens on the liturgical calendar is the season of Advent. And it's interesting because Advent is usually around the time we end our calendar year. But in the Christian calendar, Advent is the beginning of a new year. Advent is a four-week period. usually begins in late November or early December. It's the four-week period leading up to uh, Christmas Eve. So it's those four weeks. It begins the church year, and it's a time of reflection and preparation. And what often happens during Advent is each week there's a candle that's lit and reflections around hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, Then after Advent, we move into Christmas, or what is sometimes called Christmas Tide, because that just sounds far cooler. Wouldn't you agree? What are you doing? Celebrating Christmas Tide. The rest of you just get Christmas. We get the Tide. Um, So Christmas Tide. And Christmas, I mean, how many of you on December 26th, you look at your Christmas tree and think, I hate it. I hate the lights. You just turn it, you go from like Mr. and Mrs. Christmas to the Grinch. How many of you do that the day after? I can remember growing up, like Christmas night, we used to have, I didn't have a real Christmas tree, like an actual used to be a live Christmas tree uh, until I was an adult. So growing up, we always had the ones you put together and like, like open presents, Christmas Eve night is how we did it. And then Christmas morning, you wake up, the tree is gone. My mom had that thing done and put away and we were looking to the new year. Here's what's interesting. On the Christian calendar, Christmas is actually a whole season and it's 12 days. On the first day of Christmas... Your true love gives you a partridge in a pear tree. And you're like, what do I do with this? Right? But that's where the song comes from. There are 12 days of Christmas. And those 12 days of Christmas lead into something known as, a, as Epiphany or Epiphany Tide. Uh, and Epiphany, for some traditions, it's just one day. But for many traditions, Epiphany is, is a, a season. It's on January 6th. It celebrates uh, the word epiphany means like revealing. So it celebrates Jesus being revealed to the Gentiles. And it talk, you, you often think about the uh, wise men, the Magi's visit, and you think about the baptism of Jesus. And that season runs you into, it's the January 6th till the day before Ash Wednesday. Then on Ash Wednesday, you begin a 46-day period called Lent. And it's actually, it's said it's 40 days because you don't count the Sundays. Um, but it's essentially 46, a 46-day 46 window from Ash Wednesday To Holy Saturday, and you're in this season called Lent, and Lent is about preparation, it's about repentance, it's about getting ready to celebrate resurrection, and then you hit Easter, and you're thinking, oh surely Easter's just one day, no it is not, Easter is 50 days, a 50 day season, Um, you have to hunt eggs every day, or it doesn't count, Um, so Easter is this 50 day season of uh, celebrating resurrection. And then after Easter, you move into what we did last week, which is Pentecost, which is celebration of the beginning of the church. It celebrates an awareness that God is with us, the Spirit is with us and fills us and, and energizes our work in the world. And then, and this is what I want to talk about today, after Pentecost, you begin the sexiest time of year, and it is called ordinary time. <laughs> you know when they were labeling these periods of time, you, you know when they got to ordinary time, ordinary time was like, What? Can you call it ordinary tide time? That, that at least seems a little funner. You begin ordinary time. And doesn't ordinary time sound so ordinary? Like it's just every day. It actually comprises 33 weeks. And if my math is right, that's over 60% of the year is ordinary. And that just isn't exciting, is it? Like you can say to somebody, hey, why don't you come to Advent and celebrate at our church with us? You don't go to a friend and say, hey, it's the 18th week of Ordinary Time. What are you doing this weekend? Right? It just doesn't have the draw or the energy. And we sort of orient our lives around extraordinary moments. Right? I mean, think about the things we get excited about. It's the extraordinary. It's the season. Right? It's Christmas. It's Easter. It's birthdays. It's holidays. And everything else is just sort of what we have to go through to get to the extraordinary. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, does does transformation happen in ordinary time? Is the spirit at work in the world and in us in ordinary time? Because ordinary time is actually the thing we spend most of our lives trying to escape. All right, I mean, I'm one of those personality types that I enjoy activity, I enjoy fun, I enjoy more, right? And that's sort of what we want. Out of life from one excitement. This is why, if you go to Walmart on Christmas, the day after Christmas, here's what you'll find 50% off all Christmas stuff and Valentine's Day. (laughs) Christmas isn't even cold yet. We've got leftover turkey in the fridge, and now we're buying candy filled hearts. All right, and Valentine's Day ends, and before it's over, before February 14th gets here, you know what you're going to find? And they do, it, they do it subtly. They don't want to tip us off if we, we'll understand what they're doing. Cadbury cream eggs at the checkout register for 50 cents. You'd be crazy to pass that up. It's 50 cents for a Cadbury cream egg. Come on. Uh, and then what happens? You get back to school time, then you go to Halloween, right? And then you go to Halloween and you're buying like a gory zombie mask and a Christmas stocking at the exact same time. And it is an endless loop of moving from one extraordinary moment to the next extraordinary moment. And the reality is that where we live, where we grow, where our life happens is in the ordinary. And the thing we try to escape and the thing we try to shut off and the thing we try to ignore is we're going from the next, this exciting thing to the next exciting thing it's the ordinary. And I've come to believe, and I'm not great at practicing this, but I've come to believe that in the ordinary, some extraordinary things can actually happen. I want to show you in a story today. It's one of my favorite stories in the Hebrew scriptures. It's a story of a man named Jacob. But what you have to understand about Jacob is that the story of Jacob can't be understood without uh, the story of him and his brother Esau together. And here's what's really interesting. Recently, um, some archaeologists uh, discovered an ancient cave painting of Jacob and Esau. And I want to show it to you real quick as we, um, that's, that's them. That's them in their battle gear. Um, the reason that's funny, if you're like, why are you showing Han Solo and Chewbacca? Do you need a reason to show Han Solo and Chewbacca? Uh, here's the reason. Jacob, uh, his brother Esau, was known to be quite a hairy guy. Um, and when they were born, Esau was born, they're twins. Esau was born first. And Jacob is grabbing his heel as he's being born. And they lived in a constant relationship of Esau was the older in that culture. It meant he had more rights. He had more privilege. And Jacob spent his life going back and forth trying to steal that and take that from Esau. And the story I want to look at happens after Jacob has been successful. So his father Isaac is dying. And he's gone blind. He can't see. And Jacob's mom, who favored him, said, here's what you need to do. I want you to... Go get some of the skins from animals that your brother has killed, and I want you to put them on your arms and on your body so you'll feel hair, like how hairy was this dude if you're going to pass off a goat skin as being him. Um, I want you to put the goat skins on, and then I want you to go prepare the food. I'll prepare food. You take it to your, and you'll get the blessing. And sure enough, Isaac, Isaac totally senses something's up, but when Jacob gets close enough, he smells the, the animal hide, and he's like, ah, oh, that's the smell of my son Esau, which I don't know is a compliment. Um, and he blesses Jacob, and they took blessing so seriously. They believe that what you said over a person's life, and maybe this is important on a day like Father's Day, what you speak into a person's life actually has uh, power in their life. Words have power. They can give life or they can take life. And when Esau finds out what his brother has done, he is furious and decides, when my father dies and we've mourned, I'm going to kill my brother. So they get wind of this. And Isaac says to Jacob, okay, your brother wants to kill you. Here's what you need to do. I want you to pack up some stuff, and I want you to leave. You're going on the run. You're on the lam. You're going to go. And I want you you to go to your mother's brother's house to find a wife. I'm going to let you work on that family tree real quick. I want you to go to your uncle's house. I want you to go to a family reunion in hopes of finding romance. (laughs) Is essentially what he says to Jacob. And so Jacob packs up and leaves. And the story we're going to look at is when Jacob is on the run. And he's not where he's going, but he's not where he, he's not where he came from. He's sort of in this, this middle space somewhere. Uh, and he has a dream. So let's put the, that text up from Genesis 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there. When the sun had set, he took one of the stones of that place and put it near his head. Then he lay down there. He dreamed and saw a raised staircase, its foundation on earth and its top touching the sky. And God's messengers were ascending and descending on it. Suddenly, the Lord was standing on it and saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will become like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the east. Uh, west, east, north, and south, every family of earth will be blessed because of you and your descendants. I am with you now. I will protect you everywhere you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done everything I have promised you. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought to himself, the Lord is definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. What an interesting story. Now, there's, there's problems with this story, right? As people who live in the 21st century, we've kind of, come to grips with the fact that if you go up, wherever up is, because you realize that up for us may mean we come out the bottom of the planet, right? Like, we just don't know. But up, like the ancients thought that there was a throne room up there, and that's where God lived. And so in this vision or dream of Jacob, he has this ancient way of thinking about it. But this is a really, really interesting story. He falls asleep on a rock, has a dream, a vision, and in the dream, the the God character says to Jacob, I... I know you're in trouble. I know you're on the run, but I've got a plan. I'm going to bless you. The whole world, the whole human family is going to be impacted by your existence. You're going to do good things for the world. Your your existence is actually for the betterment of the world. And I'm going to fulfill everything I've told you. I'm not going to leave you. What an interesting, interesting story. And when Jacob wakes up, well, first of all, where does this dream take place? Did you notice? Where does the dream happen? Where does this story happen? It's a really, really technical term, a certain place. Where's that? Right? And actually, in Hebrew, it literally is just the place. When Jacob got to the place. And I think what's interesting is it's not a temple, right? It's not holy ground. It's the place. The place he was going to stop for the night, the place he was going to pause and take some rest, just the place. I mean, when we think about things happening in the world, we think about special places, right? We think about holy ground. We think about temples and churches and mosques and synagogues. We think of certain places we go where the ground is a little bit different than the ground everywhere else. Um, One of the things that always used to happen um, back in Morgantown is, uh, is the space was really wide open, and kids loved to come in there and run after church. Like, we would turn out the children's ministry, and they would just make laps. And it was great for getting them ready for nap time. You're just like, run, run, run. Uh, And at some point, somebody would always say, don't run in God's house. To which I was always like, listen, if God is living here, God has to pay rent. um, Because this ain't cheap, right? Right? Um, but what is that understanding? And usually my kids were the first ones doing it. So I would have to say, well, I'm sorry your kid's running. You don't want them to. All of mine are running like Tasmanian devils. That's why they're doing it. Don't run in God's house. What, what makes a church building different than any other building? All of them have mortgages. All of them require property insurance. You would imagine if it's God's place, like God could just handle the property damage. There, there really isn't a difference, is there? All space, this is what I think we're getting at. All space can be sacred space. Jacob has this realization, and it's just a certain place. It's just any old place. It's it's everywhere, right? Nowhere special. It's being in line at your kid's school to pick them up. One of the things I learned is that you have to, like if school gets out at 3.30, you have to basically line up to pick your kids up at 10.45 in the morning, or you're going to be in the back. So it's just drop them off and do not leave. Your day will be spent in line. And in those moments, you really don't think, man, this is holy ground, do you? Or what at the grocery store as you're pushing your cart along? Is that holy ground? We buy a lot of milk, or we used to when our kids are smaller. There was just one time a year or so ago, maybe it was like three months ago, and that time is relative, where it's cold, it's winter, it's been snowy, and we come out for the, like, for the first time to restock our supplies and we're coming out of the grocery store, and we're loading the stuff in the back of my wife's minivan, and I'm trying to grab two jugs of milk at once. And I grabbed the jugs because I wanted to show off how strong I was, like I can hold two jugs of milk. And I went to sit them down in the car, but one of them hit the bumper. And I swear this happened in slow motion. It bounced off the bumper, comes back up a little bit, and then in the slowest time possible, it falls as I'm going and it hits the ground and it absolutely explodes. And it goes all over me, all in the van, and the person who parked next to us with temporary tags, it went all over their car as well. So then I had to do the walk of shame back into Kroger and stand before this this manager covered in milk from head to toe while she laughed at me (laughs) and said, I've worked here a long time. We've never seen this before. <laughs> is that holy ground? It sure didn't feel like it at the moment. Is that holy ground? What about the dentist's office as you're waiting to pay someone to cause you pain? Like, is that holy ground? We have this sort of idea of there's sacred and then there's profane. There's, there's space where... The Spirit does a thing, and then there's space where it's just normal everyday life. And Jacob has this moment where he's just in an ordinary, average space. And in that place, he goes to sleep and has this stunning realization, oh, and what does he say? I was just here asleep, and God showed up. That's not what he says. That's what we say, right? We say, man, you wouldn't believe it. We went to church today, and God actually showed up about time. I don't know where he'd been for, where she'd been for six months. Showed up today though. That's the language we use, right? And what does it mean when God showed up? It must have meant the music was really good and maybe the the preacher had a good sermon because, what is it, a hog finding an acre in it? I don't know what the saying is, but you know it. Um, Like like maybe everything just came together the right way and God did a thing and we all had goosebumps and then we went to lunch. That's how we talk about things, right? God showed up. You wouldn't believe it, man. We were... We're in trouble, and God showed up. And here's the beautiful thing. Jacob doesn't say that. Jacob wakes up and says, God was here, and I wasn't aware. God was in this place, and I didn't see it. Is it possible that in every place you have ever set foot, that in every moment you have ever lived, that in the most beautiful moments where you thought, man, I wish this would never stop, and even in the most difficult moments where you thought, man, I wish this had never happened, that in some way, God was right there, and you just didn't see. There was something, that was my son, there's something about, um, there's some of this moment for Jacob that allows him to pause. I mean, he's running for his life, he's looking for love, And in this moment of tension, he comes to a realization that something had always been true. He just didn't have the sense to see it. You know what? This is not a, a sort of aberration in the Bible. This is the story of the Bible, right? A guy named Moses is doing what this guy named Moses does all the time, which is walk around with some sheep, and suddenly he sees a bush that's on fire, and he has this sense that it's holy ground, and he takes his shoes off. And one of the things the rabbis say is, was the bush always burning, Was the ground always holy? And there was something about this moment that Moses stopped to see it. Some fishermen, Simon Peter, Andrew, James, his brother John, are mending their nets after another night of not catching enough. And and they're captivated by this rabbi who walks by and says, come on, let's go, we got other stuff to do. And they leave everything and follow him because they realize there's something bigger going on that's always been going on that they just had eyes to see. What would it be like if we stopped believing that God shows up and we started trusting that everywhere you've ever drawn a breath, God has been? That could change the game. What if instead of seeing things as just ordinary or unremarkable, we saw the everyday ordinary as brimming with remarkability? Every moment as being full of potential and possibility to transform us and to make the world better and to do good? Like, what if every moment was full of potential? Even the moments we wish away and throw away. I, mean, I, I had this realization recently as I was talking to, to my kiddo, and he was wanting to watch a movie, and I was like, you can't watch that movie, it's a little over your, your age bracket right now. And he's like, well, what about this one? I was like, nope, that's a little bit above your age bracket right now. And I was like, okay, can I watch this one? I was like, nope, that's a little bit above your age bracket right now. He's like, oh, I just want to be older. I said, don't, you don't. You think you do. You think you do. But in that wishing away, you're you're wishing away the moments that will make you who you are. And I know because that's always what I wanted to do, was just be older. And then you get older, and your metabolism disappears, and you're sleepy all the time. (laughs) Can I get a witness? I mean, (laughs) Right? We, we, we wish away the ordinary when the ordinary is what really makes us who you are. See, you really aren't who you are in the extraordinary. You are who you are in the everyday. That's where we, and that's where who we are is formed. And how we treat our neighbors every day. Yeah, it's great to be nice to people at Christmas, but if you turn around and uh, gesture them like after New Year's, what are you doing? Right? It's who we are in the everyday that makes us who we are. So I want to think through today just a th- three things if we want to cultivate sort of an awareness of the extraordinary and the ordinary, how do we do that? And the first thing I would say is this. We have to practice presence. We have to really practice presence. And I originally said we need to practice here but then I had this realization that being here and being present are not the same thing. All right? From about kindergarten through my bachelor's degree, I was there, but I wasn't really present. Tell me what I'm talking about. You can be in a moment and not be there. You can be in, in the room when something unbelievable happens and totally miss it, right? So it's learning to practice presence. And one of the things I'm trying to do, and it's, it's a struggle because I, I don't know about you, but I have this sort of addiction to this device that I carry with me at all times. And when I can't find, I have a panic attack. Um, and I do think so, at some point our species will evolve and this will be our natural look, right? Right? Um, which means we miss everything. So one of the things we're trying to do is like, I, we're banning phones from dinner. Which sounds like an easy thing to do, but you have no idea how difficult that can be. Right? What does it mean to be present with the people you're with? Instead of always thinking about the people you're going to be with next. Um, I think I've mentioned this before. I'm an Enneagram 7. And that is essentially the group of people who want to avoid pain and have fun. We're great. You should join us. Um, but one of the tendencies of my personality type is to always want to avoid the boring or the, or the difficult. And so we had some stuff going on with the kids a couple months ago. And uh, some things were up in the air. And we're driving and we're having this conversation. It was really like I wonder what's going to happen. And we were nervous. And then I just said, so where should we go on vacation? And my wife looks over at me and she says, can we not talk about that right now? I'm worried about this thing over here. How can you I want to talk about where we're going on vacation. And then it hit me. So I said to her, oh, that's my defense mechanism. All right? My defense mechanism against difficulty is to not be here. It's to go somewhere else where everything's easy and we're going to Disney World. Right, that's, that's what I want to do. Because here is difficult. Like being present can be difficult. You are present and it, it can be beautiful. That's where life happens in the present. It doesn't happen in the past and it doesn't happen in the future. And yet we spend a good chunk of our time like, between the future and the past, between regret and worry, between what we wish we'd done and anxiety about what might happen. And yet there's this gift called the present in the moment that, that at least I sometimes really struggle to be with. And if I'm here, I'm, also, I'm thinking about what I'm doing next. Like, how many, how many of you have thought about lunch already today? You're just like, I cannot wait till this is over. We're going to go eat. Like, it's so difficult to just be here. But you never have Jacob experiences anywhere but here, anywhere but the present, anywhere but this moment. So what if we practice presence intentionally and uncomfortably? What if we practice presence? If we practice actually being with the people we're with in the moment we're with them and not dreaming about what could be or what ha- worrying about what has been, what if we just tried to be present? Uh, second, we, we could practice awareness. I I think this is the great struggle. It's not only being present, but it's allowing your awareness, your little antennas to go up and be connected, to to really be aware of what's going on, to really have your senses and your heart open to the people around you. It's one thing to be in the room and to, to be present in the room, and it's another thing to be able to see that somebody else in the room is carrying something that they need help with. All right? It's, it's one thing to be in a room, and it's another thing to know that there are opportunities to love people and engage people. And I, I see some of you do this in so many beautiful ways. Like, you just have this sixth sense for when people need to be hugged and need to be welcomed and need to be loved. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And there's something about that awareness that it's so easy to shut that off and to just live your life on autopilot. Right? And, and that can be easy, and it sure demands a lot less from us. And it, we also end up missing out on some of the beauty of actual human connection. So what if we tried to cultivate awareness? Cultivate awareness that, that here in this moment, on this ground, not because it used to be a church, but because it is ground. That this is holy ground. That each and every moment of your life is brimming with possibility. And that if we could learn to have eyes to see it, there is all sorts of goodness springing up all around us. Anybody have trouble with that right now? Like you, you watch the news and then you look at the world and you're like, ah, all is lost, right? There's nothing to be hopeful about. Well, that's one way to see the world. But if you look a bit closer, what you'll see is there are some beautiful human beings doing some really beautiful things. And some, some of you are doing some really beautiful things. I bet all of you are. And if we just had eyes to see it, if we just had an awareness of what was really going on below the surface, my goodness, what could happen? There, it's really interesting to listen to music. Um, I have a friend who is a musician, and um, we were at a U2 concert recently, last year. Greatest man of all time. Duh. And uh, I'm just into the music, and he leans over to me and he says, you know, the Edge's guitar licks aren't as good tonight. He leans back up and I'm like, "What are you talking about? The Edge is amazing, always. Blasphemer, right? Like, like he, but he's in tune with music in a way that I can't be. Right? Because I don't have the awareness or the ability to tune in the way he does. What if we tuned into life in such a way, not that we saw the negative, but that we were tuned in to see the hope and the goodness and the positive. And here's the last thing. I, and there could be a million more things, but for time, I'll say the last thing. Wait, what if we practiced intentionality? So what does Jacob do as a response to this? He wakes up and he says, God has been here, God is here, and I didn't see it. And then notice what he does next uh, from Genesis 28. He got up early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put near his head. He set it up as a sacred pillar, and he poured, poured oil on the top of it. Now, this is a weird, ancient thing to do, right? But what is he doing? He's essentially saying... Something happened here, and I need, I need to do something to mark it. Like, I feel like if I just get up and go, hmm, good nap, like I'm missing the power of the moment. So he does what they often would do in the ancient world, is they put up a memorial stone, and he poured some oil on it, which has this symbolism of sacredness, recognizing that this is sacred because God is here. Um, and then he goes on about his journey. He does a thing. And I think one of the things that m- we miss in life a lot is being intentional about how we respond to life. Whether it's good or bad, we tend to just move and dart from like hummingbirds from one feeder to the next, as opposed to going, wow, that was a thing. How did that make me feel? Wow, that was painful. That's going to leave a mark. Wow, that was beautiful. I never want to forget that. Like, what, what would happen if we were intentional about these moments that are so shaping to us. I'm not saying you have to get a tattoo every time something good happens to you. That's one, it's, obviously I'm a fan. Um, but what if we were to try to find ways to remember, to make sure we don't forget? Have you ever had those moments where you're like, I wanna remember how this feels forever? What if we tried to be intentional? So I brought something with me today for show and tell. Um, this is set in my office, or any space, or any house I've lived in. It's been, it's been present uh, in every one of them, um, and this is, a, this is a lump of coal with lacquer on it. Uh, and you may be wondering, why am I carrying around a, a showpiece of global warming, climate change, everywhere I go? Well, I hate to tell you this, but I'm from eastern Kentucky, and coal put me through college. And uh, it's one of those things that I have a very uh, sort of like, oh, I feel a little weird about that, but... Um, I I come from the coal fields of eastern Kentucky, and my dad was a railroader, and his dad was a railroader, and my grandfather on my mom's side was a coal miner, Um, he had his back broken in a mine in the late 60s, and he became a supervisor after that, and uh, when he retired, he he was a pastor, uh, when he retired from the coal mines, this is what they gave him. This is what Santa Claus gives bad children. But um, this is what they gave my grandfather after years and years of service. And it's got his name. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe a four-year-old did that. I don't know. But it says, uh, Reverend William G. His name is William George King. And they called him Nuck. There's a long story behind that. And on the top it says, Eastern Cold Corp, Stone, Kentucky. Um, this was in his house. And when he died, it was given. Uh, in, the, in the early 90s, he died. And it was given to us. And it's been in my, our house. When I moved out, I took it with me, with permission. Um, and this sits in my office or any space I have um, because it reminds me of a significant time in my life. It reminds me of him. Uh, he was probably, uh, when I was 11 when he died, he was the human I was probably most close to. He was the person I looked up to the most. Um, and I know now, like looking back on it, knowing who, who he was and what he believed and what I imagine he would still believe, he would, we would have long disagreements about theology. I can promise you that. And yet there's something beautiful about um, being the other person in the family who has gone into some form of of ministry work and having this, it's just, it feels like that no matter where I am, there's a part of him still there. Does that make sense? Um, That somehow having this, and it also reminds me that when he died, when I was 11, that's really when I started to unravel. My faith would no longer work or look the same after that moment. Um, that was a moment that called everything into question for me. And so this is, it's, it's a lump of coal with lacquer on it. It's, it's, a, it's the culprit of climate change. And, and, and it also stands as a symbol for me of something I'm super grateful for and a journey that I am not yet completed. And I hope that one day when I'm gone, that, um, as I pass this on to, to my kids, that they will use it as a way not only to be connected to me, but as a way to be connected to him as well. There's something about having ways to mark things, to remember things. This was a shaping thing for me. His life, his presence, his death, it all shaped me in profound, and still I think in some ways shapes me in profound ways. And I think there's something beautiful about marking those moments. And maybe it's just with a really, I'm going to take a mental picture, but I want to remember this. And it's not just the good things, right? I mean, this this to me symbolizes his life, but it also symbolizes his death. And yet, in some way, both of those are are profound and have beautifully worked in my life. What if we were to try to be intentional? Intentional about remembering the moments. Intentional about gratitude for the moments. Intentional about seeking to make amends if there are amends that need to be made. What, What if our lives were not just haphazard and lived kind of like screaming, but what if our lives were lived in a very intentional way, so that we made the most of the moments. Because you are going to live 60-some percent of your life this year in ordinary time. But it is anything but ordinary. How many of you woke up today? Okay, for some of you, now's the time. We're, welcome, we're, we're awaiting your presence. Yeah, you're, you're alive today, friends. We're alive today. That's a beautiful gift to have. Let's, let's not waste it looking forward to the next big thing. Let's enjoy it and embrace it by being present in whatever this day brings, good, bad, and ugly, being present in this day, finding what we can be grateful for, finding what we must remember, and finding what we can do intentionally to live out of it. I want to wrap up today with this poem from Mary Oliver. We're going to put it on the screen. I just love this one. Any Mary Oliver fans in the room? Yeah, she passed away, I think it was earlier this year. It's called Praying. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. Could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a competition. Uh, I think we're missing part of it. Uh, okay, it's okay. We'll go to the next slide. This isn't a competition, is what she says, but it's about moving into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. And you can call that other voice whatever you want. You can call it the voice of God. You can call it silence. You can call it the voice of your true self. You can call it whatever you want. There's something powerful about creating moments and paying attention in moments and engaging in moments and being aware in moments, even the ordinary. And then trying to find a way to speak a few words of gratitude for them. And then what you find is in that silence, someone else speaks, something else speaks. And maybe it's your own voice, maybe it's the voice of another, who knows. But there's something powerful. So today is the first Sunday of ordinary time. And on every Sunday of ordinary time, we're going to give it all we've got here. But here's the thing to remember. God will not show up. God will never show up. No matter where you go today, God will not show up because there's no showing up to do. God is. and every breath you breathe, you're inhaling the sacred. and every breath you breathe out, you're saying, you're preaching to another and saying, there's enough God for you. And that's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the ordinary, the average, the mundane, because In those moments of life, we realize that that's where we actually live. That's our experience. That's all we have. So give us eyes to see. May we practice presence in our moments. May we just be here now and not somewhere else. May we practice awareness. May we have eyes to see. And may we practice intentionality. May we be people who live our lives with intention and focus. And may we, at times, open our eyes and exclaim, even though we shouldn't be shocked, that the Lord was in this place. We just didn't see it. We offer these things gratefully in Jesus' name. And everybody said